Before we get on to the main part of today's show, I just wanted to tell you about an event that we've got coming up very soon. If you're looking to manufacture in the UK, perhaps you currently manufacture overseas and because of Brexit and other things going on in the world at the moment, you want to make sure that you have more local manufacturers as part of your supply chain, then you should definitely come to Make It British Live. It's being held on the 17th and 18th of March at the Business Design Centre in London. You'll be able to meet manufacturers from the UK's fashion, textile and homewares sectors, as well as listen to some talks and discussions that we'll be having about the current state of play with the UK textile manufacturing industry. You can find out more about the event and register for a ticket by going to makeitbritishlive.com. I hope to see you at the show. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips for making in the UK. So let's crack on with the show. Welcome to episode 104 of the Make It British podcast. At the time that this podcast goes out, we are just days away from the UK leaving the EU. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, Brexit might have already happened. So I wanted to get on the show today someone who I think has been amazing at highlighting how Brexit is likely to affect the fashion and textiles industry and particularly uh, textile manufacturers that we have here in the UK. Tamara Jinjik is the founder of Fashion Roundtable. She's also the secretariat for the all-party parliamentary group for fashion and textiles. God, that's a mouthful. Let's call it the APPG for short. And she helps to shape policy with government when it comes to all things fashion. She's amazing at helping our MPs to understand how the fashion industry operates and being their voice within Parliament. So on today's episode, she's going to particularly talk about how Brexit is going to affect UK manufacturers and their ability to find skilled staff once we leave the EU. So here we go over to an interview with Tamara Jinjik of Fashion Around Table. So Tamara, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You are someone I've been meaning to get on here for quite a while because you really are an inspiration with the work that you're doing connecting fashion and politics. Now, thank you're- you. You're not from a politics background, are you? Do you no, want... I'm, I'm. I'm from a fashion background. I'm, exactly. I'm from the. I'm from the sector, so I'm an insider, who um, worked as a fashion editor and a brand consultant, and still do actually work with brands. Um, but I happen to be approached to go on a mentoring scheme to get women from different backgrounds into frontline politics, and then my mentor, who's an MP, offered me um, a four-day-a-week job in her office in Westminster so I went to work for her and it was like going into another world I mean just as fashion is a very um 
uh, kind of insular, can be quite an insular world, although we travel a lot. Um, we, you know, we speak in a certain way and there's mm. a certain kind of, there can be certain kind of personalities that go into the war, into the work. I'd say politics has a, a similar kind. I mean, they're very different to people, but it's similarly um, insular sometimes. I mean, Westminster is definitely a village because you've got a pass so it's pass holders can run around and get around but if you haven't as you know when you go there or yeah. sometimes it can be up to an hour to get in because of security so it can feel quite excluding and then the building is you know it's quite um it's, intimidating it's, it's intimidating yeah. it's gothic and overdone and you know when it becomes your place of work that becomes normal but certainly you've got the bells going all the time and when you work there you're literally used to it because the division bells are running for the votes but People, when you have guests there, they're like, what is that bell all the time? I'm like, oh, it's the division bell. That's the first one. They've got seven minutes. Blah, blah, blah. So um, I went in and in the deep end, really, at a point in my life where having been um, working as a as a stylist and consultant for 20 years, it, you know, it's quite unusual to do, but I felt it was interesting to take an opportunity when it was coming towards me, really. So while I was there, it just became evident that fashion didn't have enough of a voice and um, authority, and yet we were hearing a lot about, say, other sectors such as fishing, which make a tiny proportion of what fashion makes for the UK economy. And so I um, I made the case for, I set up a roundtable, first of all, um, whilst I was working there. And then I set up fashion roundtable when I left and we became the secretariat for the all-party parliamentary group for textiles and fashion. And what does that involve? How often does that meet? And how how have the politicians? I mean, is that the first time that fashion has been represented in that there was, way? There was there was a um, an a, they're called APPG. There was an APPG, but it was dormant. That was the one that was dormant, um, and I didn't understand why it was dormant during the Brexit negotiations. I thought that was quite um, worrying. So yeah. Um, we set that up. I mean, obviously, when there's a prorogation or a general election, there's nothing going on in Parliament, and we all might be having meetings with. Whitehall civil servants um but other than that we can meet up I mean I was in there this week I was in last week we've got our AGM uh, in February and because of all the Brexit votes happening we've had to postpone it and then we'll be setting up the agenda for the year ahead I'm also um, in talks with um a peer um who wants to reboot her sustainable fashion APPG and I'm, I'm I'm going to be working on that as well excellent so there'll be a lot of me in parliament <laughs> <laughs> good they need yeah, to uh, because there is a big disconnect isn't there like you say it's between huge. parliament and understanding fashion yeah. and particularly as well manufacturing from my yes. perspective yes and one of the big issues that you are highlighting brilliantly is the issue with skills um, yes. within the fashion sector do you want to explain a bit more about so what I you're doing a- there I got an email from Jenny Holloway at Fashion Enter um, Mm. and she was in such a panic because she can't get, um, she can't get the factory garment workers that she needs for, um, for all the work if she wants to expand the business. And this seems to be a common theme within the sector. So I organized a meeting at parliament and we had the then home office minister and someone from the MAC report, which is the Migratory Advisory Committee and um, other stakeholders speaking. Obviously, then what happened is that woman, um, Caroline Noakes, the MP, who was the then Home Office Minister, was uh, 
sacked um yeah. and that's been a problem it's yeah. been a lack of consistency we you know across the last few years i've been dealing with different people again and again across different um departments um, and now obviously with the last general election um in december what will happen is that there will be more consistency in roles it might not be the messaging or the or the situation that you want but it will be it will mean that it's very it's very unlikely that there will be a different minister every five to six months which is what's been happening so and that's caused the problem and then you'll feel like you blew in the, the face problem. repeating i suppose that's been part of the problem but also is the problem is you've got a sector that um well according to our data 96 percent didn't want um to leave the eu yeah and you have now a government that are wholeheartedly committed to leaving the eu so we have to adjust but but in that time between when we did that data and, and the Brexit vote in 2016 to now is almost four years of um, uncertainty. Yeah, that's how I feel. That's all the manufacturers that I know and that yeah. I work with. It is that limbo they've all been mm. in. They don't want to expand. They've got loads of work you know, because yeah. of everyone thinking we're going to be leaving the EU for the last four years. They're trying to find local manufacturing, but the problem yes. is those manufacturers can't expand, can they? And they're too yeah, scared no. to expand. Well, I mean, it, it is, you know, there's definitely been issues also if you look at, I mean, it's similar with the retail sector because obviously that's that's going through a lot of issues yeah. that are different. But the other issue is, is that um, the UK has historically been where an international brand will launch into the EU. Um, mm. And now that puts into question whether or not that's going to be something and whether brands will find it more attractive to launch into Europe via Paris rather than via, um, say, London. And mm. I think that this holds into what this all adds up to is a question about reputation and presence. And what you have is you have, and what we heard at that meeting was that uh, manufacturers can't get enough staff. They can't make any more than they're making. They are, they're, they're a success story. And yet that success story is not being understood by those in parliament mm. enough to make decisions that will support business, which to me seems counterintuitive. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I mean, there's so much potential business for UK 100%. fashion and textile manufacturers. 100%. And also it so could much. be because because if you put into place transparency and you put into place yep. the living wage and you put into place all of these uh, social justice, ethical, um, legislative um, support systems, then what you can have is the UK at the forefront of the sustainable fashion industry, exactly. which to me, given the noise that we're hearing about that, seems the most logical place for us to go. And yet uh, this uncertainty around immigration, because a lot of the workers are non-UK um, passport holders, it's not being understood because their wages don't meet, say, um, the criteria of, say, somebody who's a CEO of a company. Our, our concern is that they're not going to be added to the shortage occupation list, and yet musicians are on the list, graphic are designers they? are on the list, architects are on the list, and I'm arguing that garment workers need to be on the list because they are highly skilled they might not be highly paid mm. for those that don't know do you want to explain a little bit more about what the shortage occupation list is so this is a i'm just looking at my notes wait one second um <laughs> it is going to be a, a two-tier a tier two migration policy so in it would prevent a loss of skilled workers across the industry's extended supply chain and consequently prevent manufacturers to move from the 
UK to EU territory generating negative consequence for the country's economic prospects. So what it means is that if we don't have them, if we don't have them on the list, it's going to be very difficult uh, for new uh, non-UK workers to come in. What we've got, what who are here now will have the right to remain. But if you're going to grow a business, and I, uh, from my understanding from Jenny, a lot of people come from Lithuania and other sections of the yeah, EU. Yeah, they do. Mm. Um, and understandably, they're they're thinking about setting up factories in Lithuania, which is yeah. obvious. And I've explained this to um, government departments that the new system that they're talking about would be someone would have 12 months to remain, but then they'd have to leave for 12 months. That doesn't cut it with a woman, with a family. They're not going to come here. No, of they're course. not going to bother. This yeah. is not people on an exit, you know, on a what's it after university when they go traveling, bumming around Australia. This is women who are building a life and paying their taxes and have got to worry about schools and about housing. And they're just not going to come here. And the reason why we have this shortage of domicile talent is to do with the STEM education agenda exactly. of this government. Yep. So it's actually mm. in their gift to fix this and create less of an immigration problem if they so chose. But they have steadfastly been committed to a, what's called STEM education agenda, meaning that arts, craft and needlework and, and, and design are not taught in, in, in quantity in state education, which is 97% of us. And yeah. that means that therefore 97% of us are not learning the schools and the skills. I and mean, not everybody's going to go to university, but some need to be taking T levels or going into places like the education um, aspect of fashion enter. But there's not an, enough quantity of that to create the UK workers to take the jobs. So it's twofold. The reason that you need these people on the list is because we haven't trained the, vast, the, the numbers that we need in the UK. So it is down yeah. to departments at Whitehall analysing and discussing this together and not putting one against and not cancelling the opportunity for one by not putting in place at the education because they could sort this themselves if they put that in place. Yeah, I mean, it's been 20 years really since we taught proper sewing and yeah. those sorts of skills in schools, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. It's been declining. Yeah. And yet I've been running Make It British for nearly 10 and I've been saying for the last 10 years that there's a massive disconnect between what we're teaching kids at school and what we need from the demand for the factories. They've had 10 years. So there's um, been one education minister who's been consistent under all of the secretaries of state for education because I think there's been about six or seven since the coalition. Yeah. And he is committed to STEM education and, and it's really down to him not, you know, there is an APPG that I worked on when I worked in Parliament for Sharon Hodgson and it's called Art, Craft and Design and Education and they are committed to advocating for arts being put back in. There is um, an economic, from the creative side of the industry, the creative sectors are growing four times other sectors and Fashion is the largest part of those yeah. um, creative industries, and yet it is utterly um, counterintuitive to not realise that fashion needs to be <laughs> taught in terms of the skills. If you don't turn need, actually, you know, doctors need to learn needlework, surgeons, sorry, need to learn needlework. There is a case for people going into tech having the um, critical creative thinking that comes from learning the arts at school so it, it doesn't make any sense to not have it and actually for, for the workers going into garment workers going into factories if they're not learning the skills we're not going to have them in the UK hence we're going to have to get people from overseas and yet you're not allowing them in I know it's, it's, it's nuts 
So where do you think we will be in? So obviously at the time of recording this, we're just a few days away from Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think we'll be in one, two, five years time? So I think it, I think the next year ahead is really important because we are in, we, at the end of the month, we were going to transition until December 2020. And during that time, I think it's up to everybody to make the case to get behind, to lobby your MP. You can go on um find your MP and find your MP and write to them. They then have a duty of care as your, as, as your MP um, because you're the constituent to um, contact the relevant departments and it's called casework. And the more people that do it, the more it will become evident because that's what the fishing industry did. The fishing industry did this. They lobbied against oh, the EU they? and they became why? part of the Brexit conversation, 100%. And yet they're a fraction of our- 10% of the size of the fashion industry, even less? They, they, the, they fashion... make the same as East London does from fashion. They Gosh. make 1.4 billion GVA and we make 32.3 billion. Yeah. Of which so East I think London eight... makes 1.4 billion GVA, so it's the same. And 9 billion worth of textiles produced here. Right. Still. So, so, so kind of that, like yeah. it does make you think, like, what on earth? is the pecking order and why and how do you change that and you change that by being part of the conversation so do you think government are a little bit scared of fashion do you think they're a bit intimidated i by don't it? think they're scared by it i don't think it's on i don't think it's been in their consciousness because i don't think the industry's been coherent enough in understanding right. that they need to understand policy in order to inform and to change policy and mm. um, i was part of a um, I was part of something that said that it doesn't seem logical to me that graduates um, have to leave as soon as they've graduated when they've made all their contacts here, given that we're pushing for non-UK graduates from our, our fashion colleges. And now I think I want two years because I think that by then they've got enough time to start building up a business or getting up the ladder from, say, that junior graduate post. But they've got four months so again and again, it's about being part of um, the conversation so that you can make you can advocate for change. Because otherwise, what's happening is other other industries are really um, lobbying very well and hammering home their points. And they're the and it's the, those with the loudest voices that are getting heard. Right. Those okay. Are, you know, an MP knows that if they don't work for their constituents, they're out. As we've just seen in the last election, mm. there was a massive change in what's going on in the north and obviously a lot of the traditional factories are up there and um, you know those factory workers um have a voice as do the as do the factory owners and everybody around the country i mean we did the first bit of data where we sent to all of when we launched we sent to 650 all of the mps what they uh, each of their constituencies make from fashion and it's a lot it's a lot. It's consistently a lot of money. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of value into the local economy. And they didn't know that. So right. I think it's something yeah. to be really aware of the value of the sector because you have a vote, you have a vote, so you have agency and therefore you have rights. But also you should get behind what we're doing. You should also be writing to, yeah, write to your local MP, write to your local um, head of local government because they, sh they should be supporting initiatives around education so that you can get the workers because if they're, you know, if they're not going to allow you uh, the uh, EU factory workers, what are they going to do to help you build your business? I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts, Kate. Mm. It really is. 
I suppose I can see the slight barrier is with a lot of people in the fashion industry or in the design industry is, you know, they're happy creating things and they're like, oh, gosh, finding yeah, the details for my I mean, MP. I get that. But find your MP takes yeah. you five seconds. And yeah. what do you want to do? Do you want to stay in your bubble? and be, You know, the problem with being creative, I was a creative. I've been a stylist for years. Is I also had to do my accounts at the end of the year. I also had to do the mood boards for clients. I also had to go and look at fabrics and go and look at shows so you know it's a part of a job isn't it so if it yeah. takes me five minutes to find my mp and say do you know what you're not looking after my sector this is what you're going to do to my business i will consider relocation i will con- you know they i'm being offered black market labor which i don't want to go down what are you going to do to support me that that might you know it takes you what and I, it's as I, simple as that it. yeah simple yeah exactly can that be that. a does it always have to be a written letter can it be an email? Can it be a DM no, email, on Twitter? Email, email. No, I wouldn't DM them on Twitter, but I would. Right. I mean, you could put something on Twitter because they follow that as well. They're all on mm, it. That's what you yeah. see them doing. I mean, what they'll be doing when you see them in Parliament and um, in the chamber and, and they're, they're on their phone, they're approving case, it's called casework. So they'll be approving emails from their constituents to go forward to the different departments. So an email, you don't have to write it. For, I mean, very rarely when I worked for Sharon did we get a formal letter and more often it's an email. Right. Okay. Brilliant. So, so that's something everyone can do. Minutes. Exactly. I think we've even got an email your MP thing on our website, which Have is fashionroundtable.co.uk. Fashion so you can use that as a template. I will put a link to that for the show notes for this podcast then. You're welcome. Because, Thank you. Um, we, yeah, people need to get behind this and people understand because there's been too long where people have just been moaning about the lack of skills. And I can't grow my factory because I can't find the staff and young people don't want to work but they need to do something. I mean, the meeting that you had, the last meeting that I came to um, yeah. for the APPG, we had, what, 30 of us there? Yes. Is it? Should more people come along to those meetings? I mean, that room was full, Kate, so we couldn't actually have got any more people in the room. <laughs> no, we couldn't. But can we get a bigger room? Is that, is that one of the other ways? We can always get a bigger room. The other <laughs> thing is to sponsor events, so to sponsor an APPG event and get right. them there because then you've cornered them. You know, I mean, it's that's part of what I mean. An MP's diary is packed full of events where they're going, and especially if their constituents are going, I can't emphasize that enough because they are they but they are there to serve. So yeah. they are there to serve the needs of their constituents. So if you email and say, "I am your constituent, and I will be at this event. I would like you to be there," they will try to either send themselves or one of their staff members. That hundred percent, they will try. Brilliant. So it is always important if you're going in or, or um, I know we spoke about this before, Kate, or, mm. you know, sponsoring an event so that you can showcase the work, get them there, talk to them. And it does change. Um, send them the stats. This is what my business is doing. This is what we could grow. These are the margins we're losing. What are you going to do? I mean, quite frankly, who doesn't want to build business? So aside from the skills issue, what else are you working on at the moment with the Fashion Roundtable? What are the other kind of key things that you want to get across? We're working on a paper around representation and inclusion in the fashion industry because it's below um, levels around the country. We're also working on sustainable solutions um, paper for the sector. So rather than um, just taking on um, really what Extinction Rebellion said when they said they were going to shut down Fashion Week, which... It's like, well, it's a business. What do you expect happens to the garment workers and the people along the supply chain if you just decide to shut down? Um, looking at solutions. So we did a, a, a number of meetings outside Parliament because they're barred 
from Parliament, as is Greenpeace yeah. at the moment. Um, and um, we're, we're looking at that work. And then really, once the AGMs are set up, both the APPGs, that will set up the work for the year to two years ahead because because of the prorogation and then the general election, it's been a time of kind of, well, you have to stop because you're not allowed to, uh, an MP is actually then a candidate rather than an MP, so everything stops in terms of, of parliamentary work. Mm. Um, so that's gearing up again. And then we, we have our membership, which has just launched. Um, oh, yeah, so that, tell me more about that. How can people benefit so, from joining that? So by joining that, there's different tiers. They can either, uh, you know, they, there's all ranges of tiers, ranging from a discount to events to free events to a corporate offer, which gives free events to a group of people. You get our policy content. And um, also we've negotiated some partnership deals where you get cheaper access to i don't know uh, a members club or whatever whatever and we're just starting that really so it's um, finding its feet it's only about a month so, so six weeks old so that's mm. exciting and that's the way that we can keep going really to keep it um, financially viable because it's yeah it's been a lot of work I'm sure you can relate to that's the pro yeah I can completely relate to that that is sometimes the problem isn't it <laughs> when yeah. you really really, really believe in something all these ideas I've got amazing yeah. ideas I'm full of them it's just about the execution sometimes and also being able to pay people fairly which I'm trying to do yeah exactly um last year we had the sustainability report um the that was EAC, presented yeah EAC which report yeah which highlighted the issue of um, some of the pay that garment workers in Leicester were getting. That was the sort of the, the part of UK manufacturing, sadly, that was highlighted in that report. Um, and the whole thing got thrown out, didn't it? Yeah. Do you think that will be revisited at any time? Because it is a, it's still an ongoing issue, as many of us in the industry know, and it still carries on going on under the radar, particularly in Leicester, where people aren't paid the living wage um, and mm. yet the government seemed to be turning a blind eye to it and everyone I, knows it goes on. I mean, I think it was very difficult to, um, uh, to, to expect that that would happen when the government was going into Brexit negotiations mm. and, and looking at potential um, trade deals with other countries. So I, I wasn't surprised that they didn't take up some of the... Um, some of the ideas do you think they uh, will in future though do you think that will get raised again or can we raise that again well there's going to be a different chair of the of the committee and that will be a tory and um, i don't know if that's been decided yet but i've heard from someone who sits on it of who they're supporting um and i've asked for a meeting with them but i mean it won't have mary cray so i don't think it will have the same voice it's a shame because she was great she was great she was great she'll she's going to be at the sustainable angle so i'll catch up with her but obviously she's lost her seat which yeah um it's, it's a shame for the sustainable component the fashion industry because she was a really good voice for the sector so and there's no really mp hard. There's no MP standing up for sustainable fashion. Currently. No, there are, there are. Of there course, are. if they're going to sit on that, if they're going to sit on that, there are 100. percent There are lots who are very interested in that, but I, but Mary Cray's not one of them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you so think I, that I might think, get raised I, again I at some you point? Have, I think you have to see. I mean, actually, also having an MP who sits on that as the chair, who's in the same party as the as the government will help them to get points across because they're on the same side, whether or not mm. they'll agree with the same points that um, Mary raised and her, I don't know. Yeah, because the problem at the moment is there's so many fantastic manufacturers in the UK, but they get 
you know. But then what did you think the, about the, the 1p on the tax on every garment when you think of work of factories who are doing it fairly? Did you think that was a good idea? They wanted to put a 1p tax on every garment made so that they could have policing to check that everything was made transparently and fairly. And I felt personally, and Jenny Holloway also flagged this, that if you if you are manufacturing fairly, why should you be taxed? Because you're already yeah. doing it. Yeah, because the people that aren't manufacturing fairly won't pay it because they're going under the radar anyway. Exactly. And I couldn't quite work out how you were going to get the translate that tax into policing because that's a policing issue yeah but there were lots of points that were raised which were brilliant and I you know we fed into um the report and I got other people such as Catherine Hamnett to write in you know um but the I I felt that the reason that things weren't picked up was because of Brexit yeah right so it was was down to a timing thing yeah because it because if anything the good UK manufacturers like Jenny should be paying less tax one would argue, rather than more. That's something that we would like to see as a support for sustainable brands, mm. which show a set criteria which would have to be determined of sustainable business practice should be nurtured and um, encouraged to manufacture in the UK because you've got to attract business because at the moment, after four years of uncertainty and other countries offering golden visas, there's some people who already have left or will leave or take yeah. their work off off you know into the black market which is not what anyone wants because that that prevents safeguarding so yeah it's, exactly. it seems logical to me that you've got to do something to start attracting people when you've got other countries very close with better weather and better you know an yeah. infrastructure and inside schengen who can um give you you know golden visas of course mm. you're going to look into it anybody would so interesting times ahead then. Yeah. <laughs> and also you've got to start looking at, you know, when the EU start making uh, laws and developments about modern day slavery, about transparency, and we won't be a part of it. How will we align with those if we're going to trade mm. with the EU? And yet if we're going to be making a trade deal with America, what does that mean? And what does that mean for the businesses in terms of not only the levels and the criteria, but also, you know, now all brands that are trademarking, they're going to have to get a UK trademark and then they're going to have to pay for a EU trademark. So it's more cost on a, on a company here, which, you know, a lot of people are already running at tiny margins. So many of the businesses, uh, one to 10 people in the UK, I mean, it's full of SMEs that are really, you know, not big. It's yeah, what it's our so industry yeah. in the UK yeah. thrives on and, and, and that's why the margins are so small. And so to add to that is just, and four years of uncertainty and the um, pound is, is lower than it was um, before the Brexit vote. It's, I, th- I really do respect the people who've stuck it out because I think they've, they've been very determined in a very, very um, difficult landscape and actually they are a success story in the fact that they're a still going b telling us that they're at capacity i think it's incredible yeah it is yeah exactly but that is the the british way isn't it i suppose is you know those manufacturers that have survived up until now especially those that are family businesses that have been going for um centuries decades centuries and through several generations are, are real survivors yeah yeah and you know, as one manufacturer said to me, you know, we've been through the Boer War and two world wars. We'll survive Brexit. 
that's a that's a very strong attitude. Really. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you think the labelling um, you you touched on? You know how to define something that's sustainable. One question I get asked all the time is how do you define something that is made in the UK? Um, I even get trading standards ringing me asking me if something well, how, how can do you be define classified. It? How do you define it? So I define it as the place in which the last substantial change took place, which which is actually what the Trading Standards Act um, said from, I think, 1968. So, for instance, if you've got a dress, uh, before it's been put together as a dress, um, it's a piece of fabric. So if the dress is put together, the fabric is cut and put together in the UK, then it's made in the UK. But if you bring in a dress and then print on it, for instance... In just I only do the printing bit in the UK, it's still a dress. It's just then a printed dress and it's its country of origin was where the dress was stitched together. That would make sense to me because yeah. I think that a lot of the fabrics don't come from here. So you can't say that everything, I mean, it's very rare. Um, I did know the stats and I've seen it, but I think even a sustainable fab, uh, piece of clothing can have gone between up to 12 to 20 countries, before yeah. it get, even if it's made in the UK. So... Um, there's a lot of supply chains in, in the in the in the line really of commands, and I think that you know there's very few textile manufacturers left in the UK. So inevitably, most of the fabrics coming from overseas. So yeah, I would agree with you if it's being made here, and it, and it's not. I mean, a lot of shoes say they're being made in Italy, but they're not being made in Italy. There be there's a buckle being put on. So. You know, I think it's good to be more stringent than that because that is not that's not adding that kind of I don't know Milanese finesse, is it, by putting a buckle? No, on exactly. Somewhere. You need levels of it. Yeah. I, mean, I think if you take the shoe industry, for instance, in Northampton, you have the real purists who say everything has to be done in Northampton to call our shoe made in England, and yeah. you get those then who are getting the uppers stitched in India, for instance, yeah. bringing them in and then just putting the shoe to get assembling the shoe now technically both can be called made in england as it currently stands but everyone that's you know that's making their shoes 100 in the uk will argue that those people that are bringing in stitched uppers uh, and can charge 100 pounds less per pair because they're doing so are not really true made in england shoes and i know that's an ongoing dispute in northampton um amongst the various brands there is what is a you know what can you truly define as a maybe, they need, maybe, maybe there needs to be a kite, kite mark or something. That does. Yeah. I think that does. And also it needs to be defined per product type because it's not just, you know, when you talk about clothing, but any type of product that's made in the UK, you know, all the cars that we make here, they are assembled here, but so many of the parts come from all over, well, all over I, Europe. I worked, so Sharon, who I worked for in Parliament, Nissan is in her constituency and it's, oh, just okay. the, same, it's the same for them, the yeah. supply chains for a car being made really in Sunderland complex. is the same is kind of the same as what's going on with fashion it can be mm. again up to 20 different countries of origin before it gets to Sunderland to be finished and also within the local supply chain my understanding is there's lots of smaller companies that feed into that which when I spoke to someone who works on logistics at Burberry it's the same for them as well although yeah. they're this big multinational company headquartered in London they are they work with smaller companies and they're concerned about the logistics and the paperwork yeah because they don't all hire this woman is called denise and she's really the font of knowledge and all paperwork and <laughs> not everyone can hire a denise no do you think poli the politics and the government understand supply chains no no 
how can we get them to understand? You a think bit more about, about it. That the works? majority, the majority of politicians have gone from university studying politics. They've then gone into working for a politician, and then they've got themselves a job as an MP. I mean, I think that will change now because of the new influx of MPs. That a lot of them have had jobs in the real yeah. world, and I think that's really refreshing because if everybody hires someone that looks like them and then those people become the next generation of MPs from whichever political party, then inevitably you don't have people who think in terms of business and margins and profit and loss and have done their own accounts. And that's something my mum said to me when I was doing the mentoring scheme. Well, Tamara, you've done your own accounts. You've run a business. You've worked with clients. You've understood what it is to you know, worry about being paid. And you, that is vital for somebody who is engaging with, with business, which ultimately is, is, is what we're doing is, yeah. you know, I really understand it when I was working, uh, you know, as a stylist and now when I'm working with brands, of course I understand it. If they're like, we can't get that fabric. We're worried about this. What do you think about this fabric? It's a bit cheaper. Well, what are the quantities? Of course I understand that because of the work I, I do and have done, but they won't. But they should think, understand it because it's the same across cars, across food, across every industry. It's the same. Do you think one day we'll have a manufacturer as an MP? Wouldn't that be great? Well, I think <laughs> I think I think the change in the north does mean that there are people from different sectors who have uh, who are now MPs for the first time ever. So I think mm. they will be alert because they will, they are local people who've been made local MPs. That those, those votes were very much about local change on the national stage. So I think that you will see people much more engaged, which I think is an opportunity for real dialogue because they will understand what's happened. They, you know, those communities have felt left behind. They have been left behind and they're not, they're no longer accepting it. So I think that that's an opportunity for um, anybody whose MP is in one of those constituencies and any constituency, as I said, to, to, to lobby their their MP and then and then feed that up, feed that up to the different departments because that is their duty of care to you. Uh, but it's only by making noise that you're going to get heard. And fashion was really complacent; it really was. Yeah, you're doing a fantastic job, Tamara. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank and you. I think I called you Tamara at the beginning, so I need to correct that, don't I? It's Tamara. <laughs> it's Tamara. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming you're on so today. You're so welcome, Kate. You're welcome, and, and, and good a- luck with it all. Brilliant. And a brilliant call to action to everyone. Write to your local MP if you want to see UK textile manufacturing thrive. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Cheers tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. If you're interested in finding UK fashion, textile and homeware manufacturers, then you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live, on the 17th and 18th of March 2020. There'll be some of the best UK factories there for you to meet, as well as a series of inspiring talks, just like the ones that you listen to on this podcast. It's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive. To register to attend, just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register. Or if you want to find out about exhibiting at the show, visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit or drop me an email to kate at makeitbritish.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you. I hope to see you there. Bye bye.